0: We're all watching the Tour de France right now. And even though most of us can't race our own bicycles, we're still focused on our overall health and well-being. And that's where today's sponsor, MitoQ, comes in. Like everything else in our bodies, our mitochondria becomes less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, the levels of the antioxidant called CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by as much as 10% with each passing decade. This means that our body's natural resilience also declines, And that can impact training, recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep stress, hormones, and even brain power. And that is why this new supplement called MitoQ is becoming so popular with athletes like you and me. It helps our bodies better absorb intense training periods and then recover faster, Some athletes have even said they've seen an improvement in VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate threshold. When you combine that with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why MitoQ could result in performance gains. To learn more about MitoQ's unique formula and the independent clinical trials that have been done on it, and to read some interesting athlete testimonials, go to www.mitoq.com. That's www.mitoq.com ito thanks to mitoq for sponsoring this week's episode of the show let's get on with the podcast welcome back to the velo news podcast fred dreyer coming to you from a very busy sunday morning here at the uh, home offices in boulder colorado this is the first of uh, nine Tour de France podcast episodes that are going to be coming to you over the next three weeks. We have great special guests. We have on the ground reporting from Andrew Hood and James Start who are both at the Tour de France. We even have some cool audio diaries being submitted from riders in the Tour de France and some riders who are at home watching it, retired riders, people who know the sport very well. Uh, And we're going to get to those later on today. But uh, I am really psyched to be joined today and through the next nine episodes by a very special guest. He is a 17 time participant in the Tour de France, a two time stage winner. And he's the man who popularized yelling at your legs. That's right. It's Jens Voigt. He's joining us from Cologne, Germany today. Uh, Jens Give us a little update on uh, what your Tour de France plans are this year.
1: Well, where to start? I mean, just look at the day yesterday. So many crashes. I believe about 50 or 60 riders did hit the deck. You know, some guys are pretty bandaged up already. Some guys are pretty beat up. We saw Pavel Ziga, Zivakov crash twice yesterday. He was hardly able to hang on. He's missed by his teammates to help out in the final kilometers of today's stage. Um, Team Lotto Sudar lost already two big names. John Degenkolb is out. Philippe Gilbert is out. So we already lost three riders on the first day. Today the weather was awesome and it played out like we predicted. I actually did pick Alain Philippe for today's stage. And what a classy rider Alain Philippe is. So you could have basically written in a newspaper this morning, Julian Alain Philippe will attack at the last climb at 100% certainty. And still, nobody could beat him, nobody could hold him. It was fantastic to see with how much class and punch he actually attacked and said, yep, my friends, thanks for coming, but today is my day.
0: Yeah, it was a phenomenal finish today. So we are coming to you just after the finish of stage two. We saw Julien Philippe attack on the Col du uh, Quatre Chemines alongside Adam Yates and Mark Hershey, and he took the win and... (laughs) Yeah, my first question for you, Jens, is this. You know, Julian Alaphilippe was the big GC revelation in 2019. He wore the jersey for 14 stages. Only at the very end did he surrender the yellow jersey. He's coming into this year's race saying, oh, well... I'm not going for the overall, I'm just going for stage wins. At first, it was because of the Olympics. And then even after the Olympics were canceled, it was still this message of, you know, I'm not a GC rider yet, I'm still just going for stage wins. Now he has the yellow jersey. What what are we to believe? Are we to honestly believe that he is just going to target stage wins? Or is there a chance that he might make a run at yellow? What do you think? He
1: might be the surprise package for all of us, but... I love to be wrong, but I have to say he is not yet a GC rider. He is still too muscular, too punchy to be a GC rider. You know, if you want to become a GC rider, you can never attack like today on a stage like Mm -hmm. that. So you risk losing your punch, your stage win ability for the chance of actually winning the tour. Saying that, of course he will give it a go for it. He will go for it. And... Having him in a jersey, his team will ride tempo. They will control the race. He is easily hanging on to that jersey tomorrow, probably also for the first mountaintop finish in two days from now because he's a classy rider. He's motivated, and a lot of teams don't want that jersey yet. It's a tough Tour of France this year. They don't want to have that jersey too early, but at a 30% chance, at least in my view, the tour does not go to Paris. So the tour might be over in 10 or 12 days from now. And if you wait too long, you if you plan to take that yellow jersey in the last time trial at stage 20, it might be too late. And whoever's in the jersey at that moment, when who knows, hopefully not, but maybe the French government decides, no, we cannot have the Tour de France. We are going into the next lockdown. Then he is the tour winner. So I'm sure he tries to hang on to that jersey as long as he can. I mean, team quickstep or the Koenig quickstep, they got all they wanted. They got a stage one, they got yellow jersey. Their tour ticked the box. Everything else now is bonus. They now, they can go all in for Alaphilippe Philippe and his small, but yet existing dream of taking that yellow jersey home. So yes, he will go for it. I still see Roglic and Bernal Pogacar or um, being, uh, you know, a little stronger than him.
0: Yeah, he definitely has. A squad that is built around protecting it, especially in hilly and flat terrain, with big workhorses like Kaspar Oscarine, Remy Cavagna, and Tim DeClerc. Some pretty good climbing domestiques and Bob Jungles and Dries Devenins. um, and then sprinter Sam Bennett and leadout man Michael Morkov. But yeah, he doesn't have. The type of climbing domestique like a David Gaudu or someone like that who's going to survive the high mountains. So my guess is when it gets into the real big high mountains, he'll be isolated and then it's just going to be whatever happens. Uh, Happens, But I have no doubt that just like last year, Chilinot-Philippe was going to seize the hearts and minds of all the French fans out there. And his celebrity is just going to grow even more across France because he's the swashbuckler. He's the uh, the musketeer. He's the man who races with that old school style um, that people love. As, As James Start, our colleague, said, you know, he like he loves life. He drinks beer, and if he ever wants to become a real bona fide GC contender, he may have to alter his mindset around uh, the way he races.
1: I have to agree to James. I mean, he is spectacular. He's great with the fans, great with the kids on the side of the road. So it's easy to like him, it's easy to love him. I wish he can hang on to that jersey as long as he wants to, because that would be fantastic for French. I mean, what is it now, 30, 31 years since Ben I know won the last Tour de France for France? If ever, it would be him uh, to actually fulfill the dreams of like a whole generation of French supporters. So
0: Jens, let's talk about that uh, battle on the final climb. This was the Col de Quatre. Camions, it came after a big climbing day. And, you know, I heard the announcers making note of uh, the fact that Yumbo Visma really tried to control the pace on that climb. But at some point they could not. Um, Ala Philippe attacked, and Tom Dumoulin crashed, and there were some questions of whether this climb was a sign that Jumbo-Visma is not as strong as uh, we we thought them to be. What came to mind when you saw Jumbo-Visma's performance on that final climb? Should should the alarm bells be going off, or is this just uh, something to kind of sweep under the under the table?
1: Well, no, they should uh, reassess the situation. They should learn from it. The mistake they did. They totally got ahead of themselves and they were too motivated. They won the first race of the season to the land with Roglic in a really impressive way. They were leading in the Dauphiné with Roglic in an impressive way and they thought the season is going to just keep going like that. They invested too much energy for today's stage and in the end when it counted, an almost invisible team Ineos was there where he needed to be. They played their cards, right? They were just a little cooler, a little more experience. And team Jumbo Visma thought, Hey, we are the kings of the world and we're going to win the stage today and take the jersey. And we're going to be first and second overall. They need to sit down and go, listen, to the Tour de it's not a pony hove. We need to focus on one, on one rider, on one leader and on one objective at not right tempo because we want to look impressive. The tour is not about looking impressive. It's about winning or not. And you got to save as much energy as you can. So I believe they did a tactical mistake today. They invested too much energy. They used too much energy, too much manpower for an objective that wasn't really clear.
0: What other things caught your eye about today's stage? We saw a really good breakaway with Peter Sagan in it, chasing green jersey points, uh, Tom Squinch, Trek Segafredo in there. We saw the crash of Danny Martinez. Are were there other elements of today's stage that you're filing away in your brain um, as things that were particularly interesting?
1: Uh, yes, I would say Peter Sagan is probably still gonna be in a green jersey in Paris, but, without a stage win. He he is still a great rider. He's still 10 times better than I ever was. But he is not the untouchable, unbeatable superstar Zagan he was in the last five or six years. He suffers. He is human. He's missing only 2 or 3%, but that is enough. He will always be 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th in all the stages, but I don't see him winning a stage. He is not at 100% ready like he used to be which is perfectly normal. It's only human after being a superstar for like what, six, seven years now, the body just goes, you know what? I had enough of that. I just want to slow down a little bit. So he still has a really big chance of winning that green Jersey, but no stage win this year for Peter Sagan, I believe.
0: Wow. That's a hot take. You heard it here, folks. Uh, No stage win for Peter Sagan. We're going to keep our eyes on that, but I appreciate that. That's a, that's a, that's a fiery opinion that the people on Twitter may have something to say about that. Jens. Um, before we uh, move off of these first two stages, we have to talk about stage one, the opening stage in Nice. Um, the Tour de France starts under this shroud of uncertainty due to COVID-19. The riders go out on the road. And then what happens? Ugh, a huge rainstorm comes in, douses the roads. These roads in Nice that haven't seen moisture for months and months all of a sudden become slippery dangerous oil field hazards, and all of a sudden, riders just start crashing left and right. Rigoberto Iran said, by his estimation, a 100 riders may have crashed yesterday. Some of the big favorites, guys like, well, George Bennett isn't a big favorite, but he's a very important part of Jumbo Visma. But we saw just riders hitting the deck left and right. al Philippe crashed, Wout Poles, Thibaut Pino. You know, when you watched the crashing that happened yesterday, did it bring up any memories from, oh, editions of the Tour de France you had raced in the past or other races like that. Have you, Had you ever seen anything like that before? Well, to see that many crashes,
1: it's actually quite impressive. Um, brought back some memories, like racing Pyrenees into this region because the roads are small, the surface is not the best, tiny little tricky corners. Problem yesterday was the last rain they had in that region was in June, like two months, three months ago. So. There's the old tractor from the local vine, uh, w- wine farmer driving up that hill, losing oil. There's dust on the road. And the first drops of rain, mix that up into some slippery surface, like a greasy surface. After two hours of rain, probably it's all washed clean. But the first one or two hours, when it the first time rains after months of like being dry, it's super dangerous. And I think that's what happened. Plus, what I believe is There's enormous pressure on everybody in this year because the season is only three months. There's going to be at least one team, maybe two teams less at the end of the season. So there's probably um, about 50 or 40 places less for riders because two teams might disappear. So very short season, two teams less. Everybody feels this enormous pressure to perform in the short amount of time to show himself out on the world or show himself to the market to keep his market value and secure a job for him next year. So it's just enormous pressure for this short amount of time. Plus they haven't raced yet. Really normally at this part of the season, they have 6,000 race criminals in the legs and six months. The season is settled in. Everybody knows his place. Now everybody is still fresh and hungry and desperate for attention, desperate for results. So enormous pressure, pure desperation by everyone, super motivation by everyone. And then the first drops of rain after months of dry. And the result was a stage like yesterday. We hopefully not going to see it again. It was quite spectacular and a really tough start for a lot of riders. And it's saying that, um, Team Ineos, they let uh, Chris Rome home. Yes, I agree to that. But what a mistake to not take Aaron Thomas. Team Ineos have not won, his, won the Tour de France yet without Garen Thomas. Bradley Wiggins, Garen Thomas was there. Chris Froome, Thomas was there. Thomas winning, of course he was there. Last year, with Igan Banal winning, Garen Thomas was there. They just can't win without Garen Thomas. And I guarantee you, Garen Thomas would not have been crashing twice yesterday. They're going to miss his experience being calm, you know, and being able to take decisions and make things happen. He was always there when he was needed. Big mistake, leaving back home. Plus, what I think is super impressive, Team Aeneos with Froome and Garen Thomas, they left about $10 million worth of salary back home. You know, you've got cojones for that. To decide, well, half of our budget, we just leave him back home. Yeah, right. You know, that's, wow, that's a tough decision. Heads off for Sir Dave Brailsford to make that call. Pretty impressive.
0: <laughs> I love it, cojones. Major, co- what's uh, what's "cojones" auf Deutsch in in German? Can we see that on a podcast? Well, you know, I, I think we can, sure. Aya, you call it Aya, große Eier. große Eier. big cojones for, 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 yes. for Brailsford. Uh, yeah, you know, I had a story on on the site uh, earlier about the dynamic you talked about, which is all oh, this pressure on the riders and the immediate startup from racing and and the crashes and the potential for injury. You know, some of these guys had four five months off. From racing, And that's longer than you even have in the off season. And so there's this there's this real unknown going on with the tour of, hey, if you're pushing your body that hard after having four or five months off of racing, what's going to happen? And that's another dynamic that I, I have my eyes on. Um, we got to talk about it, though. So on the final descent stage one, it's. There's crashes. It's slippery. Riders are spinning out everywhere. And then all of a sudden, the riders decide to call an informal truce. Tony Martin rides to the front of the peloton, puts his arms out like he's an airplane, and gives the international sign for, let's calm down, guys. Let's take it easy. Let's all stay in the race. Um, And it was a real special moment for me because it was, here you have this tour with all this uncertainty, all these dangers, and it's almost like the riders are saying, ah, enough is enough, like, let's, let's all, we, we all want to get to the finish line in one piece. What was your take on that moment?
1: Generally speaking, I'm not the biggest friend of uh, neutralizing the race, but in that particular situation, it was the only logic thing to do for the riders because basically every team had at least one rider and it crashed far back there. It was in the interest of all of them to give them a chance to come back to be part of the race for the next three weeks. After all, it was only the first stage. They still have 20 days to go. So, of course, they don't want to be Bruce and Brad Bennett after the first day. So, in this special situation, it was the only thing, the only sensible thing to do. Tony Martin was man enough to make that decision. He's a well respected rider. So, quickly, he, other teams and riders agreed. So, everybody got a chance to come back. Saying that, Giacomo Nizolo and Killer Buon they were dropped. They only came back because of that. So otherwise, they would not have been able to contend or to actually compete in the sprint. So it does change the race dynamics around, and we cannot see that every day. Just in this special situation yesterday, the only right thing to do.
0: You know, Tony really, you know, by by doing that, a lot of people started calling him the new patron of the Peloton, the guy who, you know, his decision and his will can get the Peloton to slow down, speed up, do stuff like that. You know, in your career, you know, you, you raced for eons and eons. Who were some of the patrons of the Peloton during your era and what role did they play? Well, early on, we had Mario Cipollini, you know, and when
1: he would come to you, you know, we'd go, Hey, ciao, bello, galme, galme. You know, okay, that's that's the law, right? Um, Chipo actually also did let Mr. Hand talk to some of the other riders. If he wouldn't listen back in the days, yes, Mr. Hand did talk a few times. I, I have seen it. Cancelara um, was a great captain. He was a great not only team leader, but also a, a patron of the uh, peloton. Of course, Lance in his years was absolutely I mean, he was the man back then, um, you know, his word was the law, literally, his word was the law. Um, Every now and then you need a patron like that in tricky or hairy situations. Um, And the good patron does not abuse his power, right? He uses his power when it's needed and when it makes sense, right? So I had a few good ones, yes, in my career.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, though, not just anyone can be. The patron of the peloton. You need results. You need history. But it sounds like you also need like a personality. Like what? What does it take? I couldn't just go be the patron of the peloton. What has to? What do you have to have, have to be the patron of the peloton?
1: You have to be respected, and respect doesn't come after six months. You have to actually work for it. You have to earn it. I mean, all the names I mentioned before, they they were good riders, had a certain number of wins. They had crashes. They had good luck, bad luck. They fought. True, or you pushed through some tough situations came back from it um so people go yeah yeah i i listen to him he has seen a few things in life he has done a few things in life in a great way so yes i do listen to that person um it's respect you have to earn and it comes after a few years
0: well the peloton is heading out from nice in the next couple stages we're going to catch up with you all in a few days from now but before i let you go jens nice was a good host for these first two stages of the Tour de France. What are your top Nice memories? You've raced in and around Nice many, many times. What uh, what do you, what will you always remember about the town of Nice as a bike racing uh, host? I'm actually so happy
1: you asked that question because it is super easy. First thing, the best day on my bike I had here in Nice because 2005 Paris Nice. We have my good friend and teammate, Bobby Julik in yellow going into the last stage. 30 kilometers to go or for you guys, 20 to, we yep, have about 20 miles, 23 miles to go. It's just Bobby Julik in yellow left and myself. Everybody else from the team was gone because we had a tough day. And I look at Bobby, Bobby sacrificed himself many, many times for me to help me to look good. And I figured, okay, this is the day. I'm all going to pay it back. I'm going to race to the challenge. And I'm going to be riding like an entire team myself now to save it for Bobby. I knew Bobby lived in Nice in his uh, career. So I knew his wife, Angela, would be there, his daughter, Chloe. And they want to see Daddy winning, right? After wearing the jersey for so many days, it's only 25 miles to go. So I actually did manage to bring bottles, to give his arm warmers back to the car, keep him out of the wind. I chased down Valverde. I chased Contador back and Pelizzotti and whoever was the big names back then. And actually... Or Bobby and me together, we saved the day. And that was the day when I was the most proud and happy about my performance. Because to see his wife and his daughter almost like crying and joy and happiness, that daddy won the race, and you'll be on a podium next to your friend, and you go, wow, a little bit of that is just thanks to me. That was the most satisfying day I had on a bike. And since Bobby is a close friend of me, every year in Pyrenees, I changed my flight to Monday. So Sunday night, I stayed with Bobby at his little house and we had Mexican food and the margarita for like about six, seven years in a row. Mexican food in Nice. These are my best memories on Nice. Fantastic times we had here.
0: Well, the next time I head to Nice, I'm going to have to seek out uh, a Mexican restaurant and have a taco in your honor, Jens. Well, Jens, thank you so much for calling into the podcast today. Uh, Jens' segment's being brought to us by Trek, who is challenging anyone to replace one car trip with a bike ride every week post about it on social media under the hashtag go bike and get your friends to do the same you can learn more at trekbikes.com forward slash go bike jens will let you get back to your afternoon there in germany and we will catch up with you in a couple days
1: fantastic thanks for having me and i can't wait for more stories to tell in a few days
0: Hey, many of us have heard of supplementing our training with the antioxidant CoQ10 for energy and recovery. Well, today's sponsor, MitoQ, is a unique form of CoQ10 engineered to get inside the mitochondria to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. It helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier to learn more about the unique formula to read some independent clinical trials and some athlete testimonials go to www.mitoq.com that's www.mitoq.com let's get back to the show
2: all right, here we are, James, Start and Andrew Hood here at the Velo News podcast of the Tour de France. Andy, I mean, good to we, be here with you. Here we are, yeah, yeah. It's it's great to be here. Um, How many
3: tours have we done, Andy? Yeah, I got like I'm like on number thirty one, and you got to be at least on number twenty seven.
2: Thirty one. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. You are the the doyen of, uh, yeah. yeah, of the the doyen, yeah, yeah. The old fart, right? Yeah, you are. You now are officially the old fart, man. How does it make you feel? Old, yeah. Yeah, I'm very old. So yeah, actually, I think this is. I was counting the other day. It's my twenty fourth tour to France. Last year I missed it. Is that because, all? Uh, is that think. all? Yeah. Look at that. Is that all? <laughs> uh, I missed it last year because I broke my collarbone uh, three days before. Trying Chaluta. to do something stupid like ride a bike, right? Yeah, yeah, something <laughs> like riding a bike.
3: Um, but but Andy, yeah. Andy, like I remember the the first day you showed up on the tour. Yeah? It was like 1996, you know, and you were kind of hovering around. You had you had this guy that you'd come over with, sort of your assistant, and. Well, I'll never forget about it. He has this amazing t shirt, you know, it just said Monk, Thelonious Monk. Yeah. And nobody in the press room at a bicycle race would show up with this Thelonious Monk t shirt. And I was like, these guys are from another
2: planet, and I love you. And, and this year, flash forward to 2020, here we are in Nice. It's a very different kind of Tour de France. Roads were closed everywhere. It's like a red zone here in Nice. Set the scene, like, actually, set the scene right now where are we right now because you booked the hotel room you did a good job and uh i'm digging where we are right now but we're
3: on you know in a really wonderful little neighborhood of of nice off of uh behind the old town and and behind the old port kind of at the juncture of the two and i've i've come here over the years and and quite like it it's it's not the, the heart of the you know it's not the most touristic area yet it's You know, it's got a real vibe going on, and it's a great way to open the tour, and hey, we're like seven minutes from the press room,
2: so what what more do you want, right? No, it's perfect, it's a great neighborhood, because I was saying earlier to you, it's like, it's called what my wife calls the happy street. We're on the happy street, you know, not a lot of tourists, uh, you know, not, not all that cheese factor that comes with the tourism in Europe, but it's authentic. It, the, the palace, the, 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 the terraces are full. I mean, here we are quite late in France, I must say, on a Sunday night, you know, people are still having dinner and having drinks. You know, France has changed. That was always a beef for me back in the day. But anyway, let's talk about the 2020 tour, uh, the COVID tour. You know, things opened up on, uh, yesterday. You know, big drama on the road. But, you know, what happened behind the scenes? I mean, you talked to uh, gouvenu,
3: Thierry Gouverneau. He's and he's like the mastermind, right? He's the mastermind. He's, the, he's you got Christian Prudhomme, who's like the guy up on top who schmoozes with all the partners and the politicians, and he is a politician, very much so, and he admits it. I mean, it's like that just goes with the job, right? And and then there's Terry Guevenu, who really, who knows Terry Guevenu? I think you know, and he's the guy. He's the nuts and bolts. He's the guy. He's the mastermind. He's the race director. He's the guy that's communicating between the teams. The, the motos, the, the commissaire, you know, he's the one that's got all these different things going on. He's he's ground zero yeah. of the tour. He's the one that, like last year when the tour came to a halt with the mudslides. He's the one who makes that decision.
2: He makes that call. So so he's the guy that's had to kind of reconstruct this Tour de France. It was postponed. You know, there was a threat It might even have been canceled. They moved it They moved it from uh, July to, you know, late August, now going into September. I think September maybe starts tomorrow. We have a big story. Tomorrow you did the interview with uh, Gouverneau. What did he tell you about what it took, that process of, like, kind of getting the tour to where it was at this point to actually where it could actually happen and start in Nice?
3: Yeah, well, the easy part for him was moving it from August to September. It was like, that's easy. You know, the race route basically stayed the same and this and that. You know, but the hard part was trying to get up to speed with all of the sanitary measures you had to do to try to make that happen. And um, you know, mostly it, it was about being able to guarantee the safety of the riders, the health of the riders, and the teams, so that nobody on the teams gets sick, nobody on the teams comes down with anything that they have to shut a team out, and that, that the race gets the word in French would be safe gets you know, discredited. Because somebody gets kicked out because they got COVID, you know, you don't well, you don't want it to happen in this year's tour as the
2: yellow jersey gets kicked out because they got two two staff rider members out of the race. Well, it's a thin line between protecting the integrity of the race plus integrity protecting the larger health of the of the community at large. Right. And that's the big tug of war we're seeing, You know where the, the French government got involved at the last hour. I have to say, plug myself, because you know, your hoodie broke that story. I was up till past midnight writing this story, James, the other night, that the French government put the squash on this deal about, because uh, the UCI and the Tour and everybody worked out this uh, compromise, that said only two riders, and then within a week, and then you're out. But no, the French government said two positive COVID tests on a team team between its 30-person bubble. So, so much has gone into this tour in terms of making it feel safe. You know, everyone inside the bubble has to have two, three tests going into it. They're being tested regularly. They're being tested every, uh, on the rest day. But how do you feel right now? We're in, we're in Nice. They just recently imposed, it sounds like, the the mask rule, I mean, I'm coming from Spain. They've had that already two months ago. sounds like things are pretty relaxed really in France, but suddenly this was a red zone uh, this weekend uh, In terms of COVID risk, You know it, it, These are crazy times What can you say These are crazy
3: times um, A couple hours ago This morning I was like Man I just Don't know Where this tour Is going to go uh, I, I'm like It could start And not finish It could start and finish Or it could start and finish With a couple of hiccups You know like This stage Or that stage Just doesn't happen Know, which could happen. I mean, like, the last race we did before lockdown was Paris-Nice, here. Exactly. And the last stage did not and happen. And here we are. The last stage didn't happen. You, you know, were here. You were covering I that race here. for Villanueva. Yeah. So, you know, that, that could that could happen. I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, the, I'm, I'm like I'm worried about, like, one of the stages I've most looked forward to is the stage from the two islands, Ile de l'Orléans. Uh, I, I always get tongue-tied with this one. Ile de l'Orléans and, and Ile de Re. And these are spe- you know, beautiful islands. And-, and this is a spectacular stage, which could be, you know, made more spectacular by crosswinds or whatever, you know. I mean, it's just really amazing. And um, but, 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 you know, th- th- then you're looking at taking the 3000 people that make up the Tour de France on any given day and putting them on this little bitty island. Now, that does not seem to me to be like a good idea, by sanitary measures, <laughs> the best idea. So maybe we'll just erase that. We Who might knows?
2: have to skip those stages. Well, that's just part of it. That's that's part of the situation we're in right now. Because, I mean, uh, you know, I was crossing some international borders. I was uncertain about really coming here to, to France. I wasn't really quite sure if it was safe. I know a lot of other journalists didn't come to the tour this year because there's a quarantine between the UK and France. Uh, the it, yeah, one you know, in our in our uh, esteemed esteemed leader. Uh, Fred Dreyer uh, couldn't come because, uh, and Dan Cavallari, some of the guys from Venice because there's, a, you know, the travel ban between the U.S. and and, uh, and, Euro- and France. So it's a very different kind of ambiance of this tour. I mean, you know, the, we're all being kept at arm's length, literally, you know, two meters, or not two meters. Yeah, well, it's been interesting because it, it's it's like it's turned the tour into the Olympics or it's turned the tour into, you know, TV grabs. You know, the great thing about this, the tour or any bike race yeah, so you can get in, you can talk to sport directors, you can talk to riders. Okay, you're not going to have a 20-minute interview with somebody before stage two at the Tour de France, but you could have, you know, a pretty good exchange about a certain theme, perhaps, or about something that's happening in the race. Uh, but here you get two questions. You know, wh- what are you going to get from two questions? Nothing. It's like a TV grab. It's like, hey, you know, how was the stage today, and what do you think is going to happen uh, tomorrow? Whereas back in the day, you know, you could get in there you could really have a nice conversation about tactics about the issue of the day about whatever's happening in the race and that's been eliminated with COVID um, but on the other side of the coin though I think that those are the measures they have to take to keep the race safe you have to protect uh, the peloton you have to protect the media you have to protect the fans it's uncertain times and I think that's just basically what this tour has to endure we can't I can't complain about it. We should be we should be grateful the tour is even happening at this point. Well,
3: Chiri uh, Gubino uh, said to me, I thought it was one of the profound lines of the story. We have had nothing but constraints, trying to put this thing together, to get make this get this thing up and running. It's only about constraints. That's all we've had, and everything is about getting through them. And I said, he said, this is going to be a very special tour, a very unique tour. But I hope it's a one-off. I hope we don't ever have to do this again. Because it's obviously been a huge weight for them, um, but that you know the, that's the tour. Only world wars has stopped the tour. Nothing stops the tour, and that's what makes it great. And they're very much into that. And that and that played into yesterday's stage. Actually, I think um, you know these sort of Dantesque uh, weather conditions that certainly came down on them, and you know hadn't had a drop of rain in months, and all of a sudden deluge.
2: You know, just this outright All and, those Lamborghinis know, and Ferraris spewing oil on the yeah. roads. Yeah.
3: And, well, and and these, these these descents and climbs are so sinuous and so, oh, my God. I don't want to think about it. And you, like, throw a little oil and, 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 and whatever up on the roads, and it gets really tricky really fast. And that's what happened. I have to and, say,
2: though, interject here. The, the rumor that the uh, caravan car spewing soap on the roads is, is not true. That is a Twitter the old fallacy. Soap on the road, uh,
3: allegations. I've heard those before. And I'll hear them again. But, you know, I think there's a whole lot of issues. Don't forget, you know, the last 25 kilometers of this uh, of this race were flat. You know, it wasn't, you know, I mean, there's just a whole lot of issues going on. But, um, you know, Thierry was just like getting this thing to happen.
2: It's a miracle. It was a miracle. I mean, uh, we interviewed La Partiente today. UCI president, David LaPertient. And he said, it's a miracle the tour is starting and it'll be a miracle if it arrives to Paris. That's a today. great line. And that line. really kind of sums it up. Yeah, that's a great line.
3: And, um, you know, who, who knows where this is gonna go, but the tour is very much about, we will make it through hell and high water. And that's what makes the tour great. And that's what makes us greater. And and he said it yesterday, he said, he said you know, I had a couple of teams coming in and saying, maybe we should neutralize this. He said, that's not my job. That's If you're gonna neutral, I mean, if we have a mudslide like we did, coming off uh, coming off the, in the Alps it's last around, year yeah. you know okay yeah I'm gonna stop the tour but if it's just rain no yeah. you know I mean that's what makes the tour great that's what, what makes bicycle mean? racing great and that's not my job to stop that if you guys think it's too dangerous that's one thing but me I'm not gonna
2: stop every bike
3: race because it's raining out. okay i um, sorry it's just not gonna happen and um, well it
2: sounds like too there's a lot of uh, kind of high end uh, French government support of the tour or maybe I'm reading that wrong. When I mean, you live in France, I mean, you might know, but it sounds like that the French government is intimately involved in a lot of these decisions that are being made about uh, the health protocols, about the rules around the tour. But it seems to me like if there's not a strong sponsorship and backing of the Tour de France from the central government, that the tour probably wouldn't even be going on right now. So to me, I get the sense of that, that the tour will make it to Paris. There might be some uh, some casualties along the way.
3: Yeah, I think so very much. I think, you know, the t- the, the tour is a, is a very strange thing. The tour is a national landmark and yet it's a private event, for profit event. So, you know, that's something that I don't know really exists anywhere else. I don't know any other likeness to this. And yet it is very much a landmark and it brings together the country. It brings together a whole lot of things and 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 it's a very it's it's just part of the DNA of this country you just can't deny that and um, I think it's very so I think I think there's a whole lot of things that are going to come into place that will make it so the tour does make it to Paris in some way shape or form
2: actually now that I'm here James I have to say I'm pretty glad that I did come I mean you know, as a journalist you know you want to be there you know but at the same time you want to make the smart decision and I know a, a lot of my uh, journalist colleagues kinda of just said you know it's not perhaps worth the risk um, but I feel actually pretty safe here as a tour so far Um, You know, there's hand sanitizer everywhere at the tour Uh, Everything's protected by barriers. I mean even the the start yesterday a little bit different Today was a little bit more kind of traditional Tour de France style, but the start yesterday was all walled off literally there was a wall for the first 500 meters on both sides of the start line where no one could even get in To the to the space of where the riders are everyone's been tested, you know, they're gonna be testing more people and uh, you know the case is now are, I don't know how it is in France, but you know the cases are going up, but they're all more uh, asymptomatic, you know, a lot lighter than it was back in the heavy days of March. Um, but you know, today, James, you had an interesting story you were talking earlier. Like you know, I've been going to the starts and the finishes every day. I was down at the Corniche today uh, after the start. You know, pretty interesting. But you know, as, as a as a print guy, you know, I can get my quotes from the finish line. You know, sent to me in a WhatsApp group now from, uh, you know, Team CCC or from Bernal. I didn't see Bernal today, but I got a quote from him and I wrote a story. But you're a photographer. You need to be there to get your photos. Tell us a story about your experience today on Des.
3: You know, there are very strict measures in the place, but if you're creative about it, you can sometimes find it, find a way to kind of make something something happen. Not maybe the best thing. Um, and that's kind of the way it's been here. And that was a very much the way it was on the Des today because we're going up the second time of the Des. And you know the first time they went all the way to the top and then came down and then did this loop and they went halfway up and then came down the called the cat Chemin. and we were looking for the cutoff. And I was with uh, Leon Van Bon, you know, two-time stage winner, a great rider, great Dutch rider, wonderful cat, uh, who's become a photographer and a, and a friend since then. And we're like, we, oh, we know we got to like, there's going to be a right-hand turnoff. We got to get there. Well, we're right behind the tour vehicles that are making that turnoff happen. And all of a sudden, the police shut us down and said, no, you can't go there. We're just going to, like, you know, I was going to take a car and go down and get a shot of the riders on the way down. And all of a sudden, we're shut off. And so I said, well, I'll just walk. Well, I got about 50 yards, maybe 60. And the police said, no, you can't even walk there. You can't get there from here. I said, well, there is this little bitty path that will join the road somewhere further down. And I was like, oh, geez, man. I I started running down this path. One kilometer, two kilometers, I don't know how many kilometers. And, you know, I got the one. I saw, And then there was, like, a little rise. I said, I got up there, and I see, like, another up, another bunch of cops. And I'm like, uh, they're just going to tell me I can't go there from here. So I kept going down. And I saw a cyclist coming up, and he's like, you know, hey, uh, you can't get there from here. They're going to stop you down there, and you can't go nowhere. And I was like, well, I got to go there anyway. And I went there, and there's two cops. And I, like, had my bib, and I had my creds, and there was all these... You know the spectators trying to like realizing they can't go any further I was like hey how about this how about that and it's like what is this what is that oh like, this is an official photo but this is my accreditation right you know and like I actually have a right to be here ah really and this is when I love the French police because they can actually reason with you you know you can go sure so if you get on the right one you know and I'd already gotten the wrong ones they said no there's no way you can't get there from here. But by the third try, I found the right one. He's like, Well, maybe if we walk kind of kindly and gently on this side of the road. Kindly and gently, yeah. yes. But what indeed. did I do? I ran. He's <laughs> like, Okay, I'm out of here. I ran. I like, because I knew that down on the bottom is hairpin turns, and that's where I wanted to be. So I ran as far as I could. It was like a three, four kilometer ride. I want to pay for this tomorrow, I'll tell you that. Because it was a steep descent. And then I got down there, and there was like, I knew it was like the last hairpin and there was this like light was coming from this direction there was the c on the other direction a couple of telephone poles in a lot of directions it's getting kind of tricky you hate telephone poles we do not like telephone poles and i'm not good enough at photoshop just zip them out yeah but you know it is what it is and so i like kind of scampered up this like rock pile with a telephone pole on my back you know some i don't quite know how i got there but you know as david but you Burns got said, the shot you know, one day you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? And I'm sitting up on this rock, you know, and I'm going, all right, well, this is about as good as it's going to get. I don't know if it was a shot or what, but I'm thinking this could be – I knew one thing. This is a shot nobody else is going to get because no nobody is else is on that, that rock.
2: No one else is going to get that shot, okay? James, I can guarantee So there you that. I
3: was, and I'm sitting on that rock hanging between that telephone pole, and Alafib came down, and the sun was just right at this one spot, and I got a shot that – I kind of like. I think it's a pretty good shot. You know, will it stand up the test of time? I don't know about that. But at the end of this day, I'm pretty, pretty damn happy. That's the shot I got. And that's how the sausage
2: is made. But anyway, we're going to wrap things up here because check back to Velo News over the next uh, three weeks. We're, we're here on the ground. There's not a lot of journalists on the grounds, but James is here. I'm here. We're going to be, we're going to be doing a lot of good stuff in the next uh, three weeks. We're looking forward to it. it's a historic tour. Please,
3: please let it be known that we don't do these without at least one glass of rosé.
2: Uh, Only one.